Good morning, whatever the case may be. Uh, around this rotating globe, we all at the moment are living on, well, except for, what is it, three or four or five astronauts orbiting the International Space Station. Tonight, we have a very interesting show. We're going to grapple in depth with something that I am so fascinated by, so intrigued with, because it has measurable physics results. It is reproducible. You can figure this out for yourself. You can determine whether it's real or it's Memorex. And as we go through the next couple, three hours, we're going to explain to you exactly how you can do this, <clears throat> even in your kitchen. But before we do that, let me, let me turn to a couple of news items here. Uh, turn this down. It's Earth Day, April 22nd. Many decades ago, right after the first lunar mission, Apollo 8, and that incredible Earthrise picture from space of the Earth and the Moon and the Earth poised above the airless, stark gray lunar surface. Earth Day was born because we saw the world, humanity, billions of people watching television, at least a billion, saw the world for the first time, you know, got up to their level of consciousness as a place, as home. And the descriptions of the astronauts, you know, this green oasis in the dark, uh, kind of echoes of Robert Heinlein, the cool green hills of Earth. Anyway, it's Earth Day. <clears throat> and if you go to the other side of midnight.com and you click on tonight's banner, the remarkable healing properties of orgone energy with Dr. James DeMeo as our guest, click on that and then scroll down on that page. And... Items one and two are related to Earth Day. Number two is how you can actually get involved. You can insist that we put that there. So, Number one is my favorite because what it's doing is it's showing in terms of NASA images, differences in the planet in I think the interval is 10 years, like glaciers. The glaciers are receding. You know, those folks that think global warming is nuts. No, the glaciers are melting. Darcy, they're melting. And you can see that on some of these uh, NASA satellite images, image comparisons. Image comparisons are very important because they, they show you through time what's happened and what's happening. Item number three in my list of things tonight, the Lyrid meteor shower is peaking this weekend. It runs roughly from the 16th when we run into the flotsam and jetsam of uh, the comet that in the model left the Lyrid meteor trail all orbiting around the sun and we run into the orbits of all these little particles and they zip through the atmosphere and they cause incredible light shows sometimes up to maybe 18, 20 an hour and maybe this weekend like if you go out tonight take your, take your little device you know, when you're holding there and listening to the show and then go outside in a dark sky Got to be in a dark sky to see this. And look toward Lyra. And if you don't know where Lyra is, you can Google. Google is your friend, and it will show you where Lyra is relative to your landscape, you know, northeast, south, west, etc. And the Lyrids are really interesting because as we're going to do a show with Chris Knowles sometime soon, Chris Knowles has been following up on this Vegas, Vega conversation in the constellation of Lyra for months and months and months now. And we found that some very bizarre events on Earth have been synchronized to communicate Lyra, the constellation of Lyra. He has now found the most extraordinary, fascinating confirmation in, of all places, the uh, great seal of the United States of America. And I've got some data <clears throat> we will plug into that show that I've been working on quietly for really for years that Chris does not know about. 
But I got this thing the other day, this note from Chris, and it's, it's, it's solid. It's, it's there. And it means something. And it's going to relate to a couple other items I'm going to get to. Um, number four, we have a, uh, well, this is what Yahoo is calling it, a new space race. In the next few months, NASA is going to award its first contracts for the Gateway Moon Base. Now, you may remember that a few weeks ago, I talked about that despite all the stuff going on between us and the Russians and the Russians are the bad guys and Trump colluded with them and all this stuff, you know, soap opera. Oh, it's that soap opera. What this was doing was covering something bigger. And evidence of this I presented in the form of a, an agreement by the Russians. While we're, you know, kicking out 60, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, not ambassadors, but uh, uh, representatives of the consulate of Russia, you know, and these sanctions against them for meddling in this and doing that and all that. We are corroborating <clears throat> with the Russians on building this gateway moon base in the next two or three years that will orbit the moon as a preparation for much more extensive exploration of the lunar surface, both by NASA, by the Russian Energia uh, space agency and by private enterprise making all kinds of astonishing things possible my, by the way for those folks who are members <clears throat> of club 19.5 you're going to get a preview of what i think the u.s and the russians are cooperating on vis-a-vis -vis the moon because on the 7th of may on monday night the seventh day of may we're presenting this workshop in imaging and I was looking at some of the imaging this afternoon as I'm preparing my 30 minutes, give or take, presentation. Because we've got a lot of people going to, you know, show you data. Like six, you know, plus there's questions and comments and all kinds of interesting questions through this format that you can ask of us directly while we're doing what we're doing. I was looking at all, all, all of that and I was, I was seeing extraordinary structures, really like recognizable buildings with steeples and turrets and, and balustrades and all this. Very complex architectural geometry. I was seeing this in these lunar images that Keith Laney is going to on, go on a, a somewhat great length about because they're stunning stuff. And it is confirming one of our models, which is when you look out into the solar system as part of our 30-some years now of research into this, you look at Mars, you look at the moon, you look at Pluto, you look at the asteroids, you look at the comets we visited, you look at the moons of Mars. Oh, have I got some astonishing new stuff to show you on the moons of Mars. Unquestionably artificial, unquestionably. Nobody in the house after I show this is going to say, it's not, it's got to be. It's the smoking gun, or, you know, as we say around here, the one white crow. This is an incredible affirmation of the reason the Russians and the Americans and the Japanese and the Chinese and, you know, a bunch of guys, ESA, are all collaborating on building this gateway moon base. Kind of hope they name it something sexier than that. <clears throat> it, it needs a name. You know, maybe, you know, Starbase. No, no, anyway. It's because that when that stuff is built and there are lots of people, including, and they specifically talk about it in this article, which is linked there, number four, the idea of private corporations and nonprofit groups, NGOs and all that participating in this moon base, gateway moon base, which will be in orbit around the moon, not on the moon's surface, but in orbit around the moon, staging so you can get down to the surface. It's like a space station orbiting the moon. In fact, they could take our space station, ISIS, and they could move it to orbit the moon. I mean, not easily, but it could be done. So you wouldn't have to put anything up into orbit. You simply take it from Earth orbit and put it in orbit around the moon. It would take a while. It would take probably a year or so because you wouldn't do it quickly. You'd do it with ion rockets or wouldn't it be cool if they put an M drive, several on it, did it with the M drive? Anyway, moving it there is a prelude to opening the gateway, <clears throat> hint, hint, pun, pun, to the moon itself. And with all that stuff down there, and I'm going to show in my presentation, I'm going to focus mainly on the moon as opposed to Mars. Mars is going to be taken care of by some of the other panelists. But I'm going to focus on the moon because I've got the most incredible 
unique images of real stuff on the moon. And now we have a sequence from ancient, ancient, ancient stuff. You know, the original type two builders, the, the big guys who folks here started calling gods because they had godlike, you know, powers and abilities. Are beyond those of mortal men. Remember Arthur C. Clarke? You know, is his um, or Clark's third law? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Well, he could on could have gone on to say, as well as the power of the gods, because that's you know they're one and the same. Once you understand the universe and how to really make it work for you, you know you are quote a god. These guys were <clears throat> gods compared to what we know or think we know. Anyway, so that's all going to be part of this incredible workshop. Again, take down the date, May 7th. We've got a couple of weeks, and we're going to have some really sock-knocking-off stuff for you, so bring extra socks. And the reason this is relevant is because of item number five. This was sent to me by a friend of mine who lives in Hawaii. And he's a, kind of a good intelligence officer. He's one of these civilian intelligence you know, analysts that we talk about from time to time on the show. It turns out that in the last few days, Merkel, she's the uh, uh, head of Germany, and Macron, current president of France, and Putin, president of Russia, had a phone call. And somebody has leaked the transcript of the phone call. Ostensibly, the phone call was about Syria and how the, you know, Merkel and Macron could get Putin to back off on how he's supporting Assad in Syria. And, you know, the, the missile strikes and the whole weirdness that went down. By the way, let me, let me parenthetically interrupt myself. I interrupt many other people, might as well interrupt myself. If this whole chemical thing, a la Assad and all that, was not real, if Assad was the victim in this, they, someone was doing dirty tricks and doing dastardly things to kids and gassing people and blaming it on Assad, making it look like he had blood on his hands more. Why wouldn't Assad let an international community of chemists and scientists and, you know, a, a neutral panel from the UN or whatever in to do the measurements to prove that the chemistry was not from his stores, but from, I think, the, the, the designated uh, antagonists now are the, uh, are, 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 the, are the Brits, you know, United Kingdom, ostensibly in retaliation against the Russians for what they did with the ex-spy with that, you know, nerve agent in uh, Salisbury. If Assad had clean hands, why didn't he just let them in to prove it? But he didn't. So I'm sticking with the Western story, which is that he did it. The question is, why did he do it? And why won't he open up? Because, well, there's so much other stuff going on that, that he obviously doesn't want camera crews running around showing. It's so complicated and, and tangled. And you would think that that, because Macron sided with, with um, Trump and with uh, May in, in the, this newest missile strike, uh, Merkel stayed out of it, but her heart is with the idea that Assad was the bad guy. So their phone call, in essence, was to gang up on Putin and basically call him a bad guy for supporting Assad. And the transcript reads very differently. Apparently, if we can believe this, this uh, leak of this transcript of this phone call, most of the conversation, 99% of the conversation was about Nibiru. This mythical object, which in Sitchin's books and in, you know, reading of the ancient Sumerian texts, is supposed to come sailing through the inner solar system and wreak havoc on the celestial mechanics of, of Earth. If not hitting us directly, <clears throat> very low probability, coming close enough that gravitationally it would disturb the orbits and do all, all really, really nasty stuff that would not be good, as Carl Sagan used to say, for beagles or begonias. What? This is what they talked about under the cover? So, you know, this goes back to Hogan's model, that 99% of everything we're seeing is, is a modern mythology. It's, it's just a script. It's just a kabuki theater. 
including, you know, Trump and his endless tweeting of insanity that is only digging his grave so deep because he wants it dug deep. It's all deliberate. It's not, he's, this is four dimensional chess. In this model, this has been the most incredible theater foisted on not just the American people, but the world that you can imagine. Now, why would this be done? Well, obviously, if behind the scenes, Putin and Merkel and Macron are talking about Nibiru, the interstellar object that's supposed to come careening through the solar system. Well, not interstellar. It's actually supposed to be loosely attached in a huge, long, looping orbit if you, uh, you know, read uh, Sitchin. Something like 3,600 years in, in duration. If that's really real, if that thing is coming back, planet size, then it's Katie bar the door. It's, uh, it's you know, it's that uh, classic film from, uh, from um, oh, what's his name? Eh, Paul's friend. Uh, George Pell, a famous, incredibly prolific and interesting director in the 50s, George Pell, when worlds collide. So if we're being diverted from something of that magnitude, <clears throat> a lot of the current insanity, including the people who avidly follow Trump and are following what I would call the pedophilia file, another rabbit hole to go down, never to be seen again. Everything is being done to divert different constituencies, different feudal kingdoms, different tribes. So each believes their own thing and they're totally focused on that thing and they're not looking up and seeing what could be looming in the sky. And what's so interesting in this, again, transcript, so click on that link, that's a YouTube video which describes all this, including the sourcing, is that in addition to the discussion being about Nibiru, it was also about the date, because Merkel is described as being almost panicked, asking Putin again and again, the date, the date. And she has, from her sources, the date of the, you know, 2021. And, and, and so she's, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. Putin gave that date, and she's questioning it in this panic state, because her source of information, which is Obama and his administration, is 2025. And so a lot of this conversation, again, this is a transcript of a supposedly secret telephone call, you know, between the three of them, a la Syria. Now, this could all be the wildest, craziest, you know, Art Bell type fantasy. He dealt with a lot of people on the air that, you know, were making up fantasies. Made great radio, wasn't real. And one of the things he used to do, apropos of our discussion last night about Art and his incredible career and his impact on broadcasting and on programs like this one, he would give equal voice to people who were nuts and people who had something really important at the, beyond the cutting edge to say. And he would allow you, the audience, to make up it, their minds. Well, I'm doing the same thing with this. I'm simply putting it out there. I'm reporting. But see, it's forming a more consistent picture. In a world gone mad, look around the planet, the world has gone mad. This is a ray of logic that makes sense out of nonsense. It, by the way, really, really neatly explains why Kim Jong-un is suddenly willing to denuclearize and get together with the South and do all the really amazing things we wanted him to do for years and his father and his grandfather. In other words, it's a bigger forcing function. It's not the force of Trump's personality. It's that Trump's people simply explain these are the facts of life. Korea is going to go away unless you cooperate and we do something together and we got to get rid of this distraction because if we, we really all have problems. I mean, if that's the inside skinny, if that's what's going on behind the scenes, it makes so much sense in so many ways. And again, it may not be literal. With the, with the due, shall we say, due knowledge that there is no such thing now as secure electronic communication. This whole discussion between Merkel and Putin and Macron could have been in code. In other words, Nibiru is not the Sitchin Nibiru that we all know about, or most of us know about, or some of us know about. It could be a code for an event which is going to change history as radically as if, you know, Nibiru came through the damn solar system and smacked up the planet. It could be code for a disclosure event. 
And it's interesting that that Putin is talking about 2021. Obama was talking about 2025. Obama was talking yesterday, in other words, last year, two years ago. And Putin's info is like, you know, a couple, three days ago. Is it possible this is connected to the appearance of someone from out there announcing that they're they're real? That would cause the planet to go into a tizzy. Would it be the discussion of, of actual artifacts? Because that date, 2021, 2025, that's the window where this gateway orbiting the moon with all these multinational participants, including, you know, corporations, private citizens, NGOs, space enthusiasts, they're all going to get their first real, real, real look at what the moon really is, is waiting to show us. And then there's Elon Musk. Remember, he wants to send two tourists looping around the moon with cameras and binoculars and iPads and streaming on, on YouTube, etc. So the secret of what's really out there, the secret that we've been talking about for decades of the real solar system is out there. It only is waiting to be officially uncovered. And maybe this whole thing, this conversation is a code for the next two or three years. In any case, things are changing at light speed. Now, tonight's conversation dovetails into this because as part of this disclosure process, energies and physics and the way the universe really works is inevitably going to fall out of the woodwork. And one of the things that's going to come to the fore is this remarkable discovery by a guy named Wilhelm Reich, you know, 40, 50 years ago and what happened to it and what could happen to it and how it's the kind of discovery that is so within the purview of, quote, ordinary people. You don't need experts to do this, as we're going to talk about at some length tonight. You can do it yourself, and you can, can be in on the most amazing discovery that can actually benefit you firsthand. Okay? So, <clears throat> James Mayo, PhD, formerly studied the Earth, Atmospheric and Environmental Sciences at Florida International University and the University of Kansas, apropos of Earth Day, where he earned his Ph.D. in 1990, uh, 1986. At KU, he openly undertook the first graduate-level natural scientific research, specifically focusing on Wilhelm Reich's controversial discoveries, subjecting those ideas to rigorous testing with positive verification of Reich's original findings. DeMeo subsequently undertook drought-related field research in the arid American Southwest, around me here, in Egypt, in Israel, in sub-Saharan Eritrea, and Namibia, all in Africa. His work on the Sarah-Asia question constituted the most ambitious global cross-cultural research study to date on the subject of human behavior family and sexual life around the world. His published works include dozens of articles and compendiums and several books, including Sahara Asia, the Oregon Accumulator Handbook. I just got ours and oh, it's amazing. God, you got to get this book. Really, you got to get this book. A show is one thing, but when you're going to build this stuff, we're going to talk about you got to have the book. He also wrote In Defense of Wilhelm Reich, which I just begun reading. Interesting, really interesting political slant on discoveries in the 1950s. He was editor of On Wilhelm Reich and or Origami and Heretics Notebook and the journal Plus Pulse of the Planet, co-author, co-editor, I'm sorry, with the German language compendium Nach Reich, Neufreischung zur Organami. And I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to take up all our time because I only got a few minutes to the bottom of the hour. James, welcome to the other side. Thank you, Rich. Richard, I uh, appreciate all what you're saying. It's very good to talk with you again. You know, it's really, this is so fascinating because I had read your, your, your Miller paper years ago. We're going to get to Miller shortly. But I think what we need to do to context this properly is for those folks that didn't hear the last show, give us a, a couple, three minute sketch on who Wilhelm Reich was. We've got six minutes to the bottom of the hour. And then after the bottom, we'll pick up on you know, these hands-on experiments that prove that Reich was not crazy, that there's amazing stuff here that is so accessible to the ordinary person, certainly a citizen scientist. So who was Wilhelm Reich? 
Well, Wilhelm Reich was a, uh, a student of Sigmund Freud, trained as a medical doctor, studied to be a psychoanalyst. Uh, he was the originator of what today is called the mind-body connection or body-oriented psychotherapy. He, de he changed the psychoanalytic practice into something that was more direct. You looked at the patient and you, you spoke with them and if they were holding their breath and had a cry or anger just underneath the surface and you didn't ignore that by his therapy method, you could help people get their energy out and by, by raging, by crying right in the therapy room. Okay? So what, what came from that was Reich's appreciation that emotions are a real bioenergy and that, that the sexual function, the discharge function of sexuality and orgasm is a real energetic discharge. And that psychic health, being a healthy person, r requires one to release one's emotions and to be able to give oneself uh, fully in, in sexual embrace and, uh, and to not to be stiffening up and holding back all the time. So Reich, Reich wrote a lot about that, and he wrote a lot about how human societies go a little crazy when, when things are in, that, in those areas are, are suppressed too much. But his, his work on the bioenergy is what I found to be quite uh, interesting and in, in what we're going to focus on tonight. Yeah, let me, let me stop you there. How did he go from head stuff to physics stuff and finding something stunningly measurable not subjective, but objective at a physics level. That's one hell of a crossover. Yes. It, it starts uh, more or less with, the, with his observation that uh, people who hold their breath a lot uh, are low energy. And people who breathe deeply, uh, they're more emotional. And that's as a generality. And mm. this whole issue of how you get your, your energy from, from the atmosphere he was also looking at, he made some of the first bioelectrical measurements of people by putting uh, electrometer electrodes on people's skin. And, and he was able to document that, that uh, emotional expression is accompanied by a strong energy charge at the skin surface, uh, as opposed to... So he built basically the first lie detector. Well, it was certainly lie detectors and electroencephalographs and... Uh, and so on, work on a similar principle of electrical potentials. Reich was one of the early researchers in this direction, similar to uh, Harold Saxton Burr in some ways. And uh, from he was he was arguing though that the the amount of energy that was tied up in a strong emotional expression was more than the little millivolts that you measure at the millivolt meter. So he began. Uh, looking at this whole idea of emotional energy from a, a much more um, a larger context and by by virtue of experiments that he did with the millivolt meters and then later looking at microbes um, was able to to quantify a particular uh, energy that was apparent you could see this as energy fields around red blood cells energy fields around certain microbes uh, that that he could get a charge off of certain specific microbes. What he did with uh, the sand bions, as he called them, um, which are from beach sand that's incandescently heated. It's got some, his experiments on this, on the bion experiments, are very similar to what is talked about today with a lot of deep sea hydrothermal vents. Okay, well, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. I don't want to miss a thing because we'll segue, hopefully, very elegantly into how you can tap into this stuff and see it for yourself. Here on the other side of midnight, my guest this morning is Dr. James DeMeo, and we're talking about an energy, a force, an ability to, to, to measure a change. And it seems really tailor-made for biology, for medicine, for people, for Carl again, beagles and begonias. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.
You're listening to the first hour of The Other Side of Midnight. Be sure to catch our complete live show every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, for a full three hours of this kind of exploration. And be sure to visit theothersideofmidnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Kinthea, our hardworking producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? Because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you, as you're listening, the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio with Pictures feature, please visit theothersideofmidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the open hailing frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials to a minimum, if you're concerned about keeping us on the air, If you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. Welcome back on this Sunday night. My guest is Dr. James DeMeo. I'm going to call him Jim or James, you know, I, formalisms. Or, anyway, James, um, where were we? We want to talk about how Reich kind of crafted this device, this box, this thing you can build and put together that really yes. shows a range of anomalous properties. And by the time you're done with your experiments, we're going through a whole list of interesting things you can do with this box. There'll be no doubt in anybody's mind that this this energy, this ability to change matter, to change biology, to change plant life, to change people, is really real. Well, I think I could. I, we can we can shorten the discussion on that just by pointing out that what Reich did was to have discovered the energetic force 
which opposes the force of entropy. And with living creatures, you're, you're dealing with um, a, f a phenomenon of life opposes entropy, the breaking down of, of substance. With life, you're building things up to higher levels of organization. And what Reich discovered is an energetic force in nature that uh, you take it in through food, you take it in through the air, and this energetic force is something that charges your body up. Now, wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> you just said something really... Your life energy. You said something incredibly important there. Oh, my God, James. <clears throat> you're saying... It, it is the stuff of life. You're saying that this is how life exists. It's, it's, it's right. propelled by orgone energy or whatever we want to call it. I, I think it's the torsion field, but that's well, just me. Well, he called it life energy also, but the reason why he stuck with the name orgone is to, first of all, identify it with, orgone, with organic living creatures. But um, his ideas on this are so much more specific and exacting in a scientific way. It, 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 it isn't a vague kind of life energy thing. And one, you know, he wanted to not be connected with um, Eastern metaphysical concepts of life energy, which are interesting. I was going to say they're probably related to the grief. Now, that sounds that sounds to me like a prejudice on Reich's part. Well, for example, I went to Japan once and I gave a lecture on Reich to the Tokyo Medical Society in a big hospital auditorium they had there, and everybody was talking about life energy. But when I got to ask them the specifics about it, for them it was a metaphysical thing. You had to have a guru to guide you through the contact with the life energy, much as in the West, uh, a religious yeah, but that's textual interpretation. But that's textual interpretation, like you know the Genesis and Christians. You know, true. But, the, the, but the, don't is, don't the Hindus don't the Hindus have something called prana, which is basically prana life. The same. Yeah, life and energy. They, look, both. Both the Chinese and the Indian people uh, have made a certain cultural uh, contact with this in a real way. I mean, the Chinese talk about uh, acupuncture and with life energy there. Mm -hmm. Some of the older acupuncturists are, I think, more astute on this. But what Reich remember, Robin, Robin is, is a is a special accumulator. It made it available to everybody. It's you don't need a guru. You don't need a guide necessarily. You may need somebody to help you teach how to build one of these devices. Well, yeah. It's not something, you know, the guy who pumps your gas can, can use this just as effectively as, uh, as somebody who's highfalutin in another way. Well, if you, so if you take apart the structure around the, 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 the phenomenology, you know, prana and orgone and torsion, I think, are the same and measurable. And the key difference is it's measurable, James. That's what separates it, not what people say about it, but the fact that it's democratizable. You can, you can find it out for yourself. That's right. That's right. So Reich was, Reich was uh, if I can give you the specifics, he was, he was looking at my, certain microbes that have this strong bluish glow to them. And he was looking at red blood cells, which in a light microscope with the correct color color accurate uh, optics, red blood cells have a blue energy field around them, just like certain microbes do. And he was observing that the people who were healthier had good, strong energy fields around the red blood cells. And they, they behaved more alive. There was a, a liveliness to them, which you could define subjectively, but also see quantitatively around the red blood cell. And later he found that when he was making uh, biological cultures of these microbes that have these blue energy fields. He, he was actually treating cancer mice by injecting them with these uh, blue glowing bions. And he was getting them to, uh, with disintegration of their tumors and re having these mice live longer than the control groups. But eventually he found that there, this was having an effect upon the atmosphere in the laboratory room. And the laboratory room was getting charged up uh, such that he, he, he felt it, that this was something out in the atmosphere as well. And this is where the orgone accumulator came in because he, he built a, a metal box trying, following the ideas of the Faraday cage. And what he found was that a metal, metal enclosure like that actually amplified. So wait, wait, his intention was to build like a Faraday cage, which excludes 
external magnetic and electrical influences. And instead, he found that his metal cage trapped whatever was going on and made it bigger, amplified it. That's right. And uh, this was the discovery of, the, of both of the orgone energy itself, the atmospheric and biological orgone energy, but it was also the, the discovery of the orgone energy accumulator. So his discovery of the energy and the, the, the technical device to accumulate it to higher levels are intertwined. And he wrote about, actually, in great detail, he writes about this in a book titled The Cancer Biopathy. And especially for physicians, this is a mm. must-read book. Because in this book, he, uh, he details his, uh, his experimental cancer therapy using the orgone energy accumulator and a whole lot of details about red blood cells. In fact, it's a book that um, the physician can read pretty easily, but the average person, when I read this book, I had to have a medical dictionary next to it <laughs> on mm. my table to, uh, to fully, uh, truly understand it. But I built the accumulators. I understood that. That was uh, fairly straightforward and as, a, uh, as long as you stuck to the original protocols. Okay, and for the folks uh, that missed, actually, who missed the last show, why don't we start there? <clears throat> what is an accumulator? How do you build one? Okay. And can you make them, you know, simple or really, really, really fancy? And do the fancy ones work better than the simple ones? Well, I th actually, uh, I have both a fancy one and a rather uh, slapjack-looking one, <laughs> and they both function the same. So it's a matter of having the right materials. But basically, you have a, um, uh, a galvanized steel. Okay, hang box. on, hang on. We should send them to the other side of midnight. To James right. DeMeo's second show, which is April 22nd, scroll down on that page after you click on the graphic on the homepage, takes you to item number two of James' materials, the Orgone Accumulator Schematic. That's what we're going to talk about, right. how to build one of these things. So and cool. It's, yeah, it's, and it, it, of course, this shows the walls very thick in relationship to the... Right, well, it's exaggerated. You know, we know that. Uh, well, if you scroll down to the picture underneath there, you can see a photograph of several Orgone Energy Accumulators and you can see that the space inside them is larger than the, the or thicker, mm -hmm. much larger, and the walls are thinner. So you can make the walls uh, out of, uh, as, you know, repetitive layers of material that are composed of steel wool and uh, some kind of insulating material with a good dielectric quality. And the, the best material to use is either sheep's wool or fiberglass. So something comes from a living creature, but fiberglass doesn't come from living creatures. So fiberglass is good too, and it appears that there's a there's what I call the fluffiness factor. It, if if it traps the air, as does the steel wool, also remember air is a is a fairly decent dielectric as well. So you've got this metal, and you've got these dielectric materials along with uh, air air spaces and then you make additional layers of the, mm. of the metal with the steel wool and then more layers of the dielectric and so on until you come to the outer um, region of the accumulator and that's just a sturdy box composed of um, something like mason board. Now I give full instructions on how to build these things in my Orgone Accumulator handbook and guidance on the best materials to use. And you can make them any size. You can make them the size of a bread box, or you can make them the size of a walk-in closet, or depends on what you That's want right. to do with it. There's all kinds of farmers out there who are, and gardeners who are charging up their seeds in these things before oh. they plant them. Oh, that is so uh, Mayan. Or sprouting so, them inside. Did you hear what I just yeah, said? Sprouting them inside. That is so they're, Mayan. They're getting boosted. They're getting so uh, boosts in the uh, the flowering and the fruiting of their garden vegetables. Um, I mean, this is something that's probably one of the most abundant uses of the accumulator uh, is by gardeners. Did I ever tell you now, the Mayan all... story, James? Uh, that when Robin and uh, I went to Chichen Itza and and to Cal? No, I I never heard that. Okay, well, we were down there with a Mayan priest doing an NBC special. And I was testing with the Akatron the uh, physics of the pyramids. And this Mayan priest said, well, this is really interesting because back when these guys were here, you know, around the pyramids in the city square lived the nobles. 
And out there, and he pointed out to the landscape we could see from the slight elevation, you know, 40, 50 miles away lived the peasants who did all the farming. And he said they would periodically during the year, they would bring their seeds into the city square between these two pyramids, these massive, incredible pyramids, and leave them there for two weeks while they celebrated and drank a lot and had parties and all this. Then they would all take their seeds and go back home and plant them. And it's because the field between the pyramids, which I measured with the Accutron, amplified increased torsion field physics, was affecting the biology of the seeds exactly like the orgone accumulator does when you do it in your basement or in your kitchen. Furthermore, there's an addendum, There's an Yeah, important, important addendum. So I, you know, Rob and I were really interested in this because it was such affirmation, but it was anecdotal. And then he says, but, he said, there's something more interesting. The nobles, the upper classes that lived around the square, they lived to be 100. And the farmers out in the field, they died when they were 30 and 40. So Ooh. this this has incredible historical validity. If you concentrate the ether, if you somehow amplify this field, whatever you want to call it, it does incredible things for humans and beagles and begonias, quoting Carl again. Well, with the Orgone Accumulator, uh, one of the best uh, examples I know is, was a Portuguese farmer who did a lot of um, controlled experiments with garden seeds, and she would she would uh, had a rare, very simple Orgone Accumulator. She took a, a tuna fish can, which is made of ferromagnetic metal, you know, tin alloy, but a magnet will stick to it, and that's one of the guides. It has to be ferromagnetic. She put her seeds inside the washed out and clean tuna fish can. And then she put the tuna fish can inside of a, a plastic bag. And then she put that with the plastic bag into a bigger can. And oh, a modular organ accumulator. And then made, you know, like three or four tin cans from smaller to larger, all with the plastic bags in between. And she would leave it out on outside in the sunlight on one good, bright, clear, sunny day. And that's all she would do. And mm -hmm. She was getting like 20, 30, 40% boost in uh, flowering and fruiting of her garden vegetables. Nearly unbelievable. But so she, she, she would, she would put seeds in the, in, the, in the tuna fish can in the center of this- In the smallest one in the center. Russian yes. egg ensemble. Kind of, yes, exactly. So uh, I actually, on your website, there's a picture that I have, uh, let's see, I'm scrolling down. I'm scrolling. Number nine. Oh, number nine. Nine is a favorite picture of the show. Number nine shows uh, from an, a three-year study I did on this in, at my laboratory where mung beans were sprouted inside of the orgone accumulator with the water inside of a glass dish. And then we, as a control, we had a controlled box enclosure, a regular ordinary cardboard box but at the same temperature and we would give it the same amount of water. You can see the controls on the right side of the picture are much smaller as compared to the ones that were sprouted at the mm. same time in the uh, left side inside a 10 ply accumulator, which was nested inside of a- Oh, that's, that brings to, mind, brings to mind a very important question. Do the number of layers or the number of Russian dolls in the middle of the egg make a difference? In other words, Many, many more layers, more enhancement, more amplification, fewer layers. Uh, it does, but it, it's a curve that tends to flatten out after time. So uh, a three-ply organ accumulator is uh, doubled if you go up to about uh, 10 ply, and then you maybe double it uh, by going up to 20, but by the time you go to 20 and there, you're really out, up on the plateau area, where additional layers, to our knowledge, uh, are not going to do too much more. So there's so a law of diminishing seen, returns then? Yes, but uh, who knows? You know, research, uh, there's not been any real funding on this kind of thing. It's yeah, but you can do it in your backyard. Done. I don't, you know, there's a million in DIYers, as they call them. This is the kind yes. of stuff that's perfect for your average garage scientist. I mean, I've got a guy, Dave Disser comes on, he built a damn M drive in his garage. Yeah. This stuff is really, well, really, really simple. simpler. Yeah. So I'm, all right. So here, here, James, hang me with me on this. 
here's an incredible opportunity to make scientific history audience because if you build an orgone accumulator as big as a garage or a house versus one that's smaller than a bread box and you discover that really big orgone accumulators like pyramids are nonlinear and they cause the field to really accumulate to where you know you're getting younger I'm being facetious there in other words there's a huge open window for real science here at the citizen level well this i mean there's so many published papers on this by credible scientists and it's amazing how it's all been ignored um almost seems like a plot the treating of plants is one thing that's been documented very, very well, not, not only by me. I did this three-year study, and uh, the results that I had showed, uh, as I recall, about a 40% net boosting in growth rate uh, as compared to the, the controls. And it, actually, it's on your website again. Uh, picture number 10 shows the, um, the histograms mm -hmm. of the data. Mm -hmm. three uh, three years of field trials here and you can see that the mean of the the average of the uh, sprout links for the orgone charge group is about 200 and if you go down to the second part of that below uh, the average is about 150 uh, millimeters in length of these seed sprouts for the control group so and that's that was fairly consistent I could it was reproducible uh, I used to have independent study classes at my lab, and I would have the students run this experiment by themselves just to prove to themselves that the accumulator <laughs> was really doing something. Are you familiar? And they would always be astonished. We had a mutual friend. We had a mutual friend, Bruce De Palma, right? Yes. Did Bruce ever yes. show? Well, I, I knew him peripherally, not, not really so close, but I... I knew his work and I respected it. Well, certainly you know his work, you know, and, and it's a shame you guys never talked because you would have really been, you know, two peas in a pod or two mung beans in a... Anyway, um, did he ever show you the results of his, um, what he called the odd field energy experiment? Where he had um, growing... Well, he had a number of things. Uh, what, what specifically... Well, the one I'm thinking of is where he took a, an ordinary phonograph turntable you know, one of those little light thingies that rotate at uh, 78 RPM or 45 RPM or 33 and a third RPM. And then he put a stationary pan with grass above the rotating turntable. The grass was stationary. The turntable was rotating underneath. And his control was another turntable not rotating with the aluminum pie pan and the grass and all that. And they're in this room where there's no light no, no, I'm sorry, not no light, but no direct light sources. It's, it's diffuse light. So the plants won't know which way the light is coming from. He was doing what he thought was a gravity experiment, you know, where plants grow up, you know, against the gravity field. And instead, he demonstrated, I've got a side-by-slide -side comparison of this, which maybe during a break I'll find and send it to and we'll put up. The grass over the rotating turntable assumed the geometry of a spiral and grew faster higher than the grass over the non-rotating turntable and this wasn't in anything but an ordinary room you know in a it was in a farmhouse in western uh, new jersey or, or eastern pennsylvania i forget where, where exactly yeah that's where i met him and saw a couple yeah. of his demos anyway it was an stunning biological effect of this invisible energy on living systems and they have a geometry, which is spiral, which is why I keep going back to the torsion field, because torsion means spiral, rotating. The ether is rotating. And so this tapping and trapping and enhancing and amplifying of this energy, we're all talking about the same damn elephant, I think. And Reich yes, gets and, credit uh, for coming up with an incredibly stupidly simple way to not only measure this invisible energy, well, right, but to make Reich use of it. Had some Reich had something to say about this spiral stuff. You know, he observed in dark rooms, he made orgone energy rooms, and I have one of these here, and you go in there at night and, and you shut off all the lights and you can see the energy moving. Oh, my around. God. I mean, it sounds like, and Jim, you're Reich, running, sounds like you're running some Reich, kind of an orgone Disneyland. 
<laughs> well, we we all we have to come for a visit. Here. We, bring we need to come up there for a visit. There. I need to measure the 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 accumulators with with the Accutron. Well, that that'd be fine. But let me tell you that the the little particles that you can see, not always clearly, uh, move in a spiral manner. Amazing. And uh, he called this the Kreiselwelle, which is a German word for the spinning wave. Oh, my, my. See, it's so, so part similar. Of his, part of his whole theory on orgon biophysics is something he called cosmic superimposition, which is the theory that this spiraling energy that you can see in, in, the, make, in the here and now, uh, which you can see in the microscope in the way that little microorganisms propel themselves, which you also see in the spiral motions of planets moving through the galaxy. It was all a part of the same energetic phenomenon. Well, he had so the gestalt. That gets, mm. us into the, that gets us into the ether question. Yeah. Which also has this spiraling characteristic. Absolutely, has to. No, we're all saying the same. We're all talking about the same stuff. It's just like, like the guys with the elephant. We're, we're calling it different things, but it's the same thing. And that's why it's so amenable to citizen participation, because if you know how to build something simple or you get a friend to do it, you know, Tim Allen, you know. Well, the organ accumulator is something that, in my opinion, everybody ought to have one in their house and it will, ex it will improve their health. Uh, it will add to the years of their life. Well, if you want to go to the ultimate on this, you simply make your house into an organ accumulator. In the building process, well, that, right? I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise that. Why? Because you don't want to chronically expose yourself to this. If you do, then you can get what Reich called the overcharge problem. Hmm. So Reich, Reich was observing that in in terms of human health and sickness, that health was something uh, where you had a healthy pulsation between uh, expansion and contraction, and this was something that worked in at the cellular cellular level, but also in organ functions like breathing, like like um, pulsations of your heart, and so forth. But um, and and you could add to your energy just by sitting in this one of these organ accumulators. For so like people who build, so people who build like panic rooms, you know, high end people, a lot of money, they could build up a, a an orgone room. So they weren't exposing an orgone accumulator box, something big enough to sit in, and you put it out on your back porch because these things you don't want to expose them to electromagnetic fields. You've got to you've got to treat them like you would a living thing in a way, uh, in terms of protecting them from electrosmog. And then when you feel low in energy, you go sit in it. If you feel good and healthy and your energy is fine, then you, then you. You don't uh, go sitting it, so you don't want to live in one of these things, or you you would get overcharged. Okay, this is overcharged. this this is a really important question, which I won't have time to get an answer to until after the break. But let me ask it, and then you can think about it. Since since Reich started out as a mind guy, as a psychiatrist, as a psychoanalyst, did he find connections to his and others' mental states? before and after they expose themselves to the accumulator effects. And don't answer now. Think about it, because to me, that's a, one of the most important unsung ideas of this model, that your, your basic outlook on life, your ability to handle life, your, your centeredness, your stability, your uh, you know, health, mental health, could in fact be changed and enhanced by something like this. I, I mean, want to talk really, to you... No, I didn't want to talk to you. I want to talk I, to you no, to in the that. audience around the planet. No, I don't want to do that. Not yet. So think about that, James. And uh, while you're thinking, we're going to go to a break. Uh, last night, we played a bit of Crystal Gale, Art Bell's you know, favorite singer, favorite songwriter, who wrote an entire song, Midnight in the Desert, for his show. Well, a guy named Bobby Bright on the other side of the planet did the same thing for the other side of Midnight. And here's the result. Other 
Yes, you are on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Dr. James Mayo. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. Take it away, Bobby. I want to talk to you in the audience around the planet tonight. I want to talk to you about the kind of meta objectives of the Enterprise Mission and the Other Side of Midnight, this radio show that you're listening to right now. As you know, we have sponsored a number of important research projects through this show over the last couple, three years. We've raised money for electrogravitics, for M-Drive research. Um, we're looking very hard now at this whole orgone accumulator technology. And I want to use the Accutron, this inertial sensor, which I developed following the lead of Bruce De Palma many, many decades ago, to put the Accutron in an orgone situation, in the accumulator or in an orgone blanket, these multi-layered uh, concoctions that somehow seem to trap or densify the ether. And yes, ether is real. There is a physics of the ether. And the problem is that it all costs money. It all costs funds. So we've added a new wrinkle to the Other Side of Midnight website. Over on the left-hand side, if you go to theothersideofmidnight.com and just look over on the left, you'll see under the uh, banners which say things like home, tonight show, there's a donate button. And there's also some donate buttons in the middle of the page if you uh, happen to get the right show. But mainly over on the left, it says donate now. Normally, I don't like asking folks for money. But money is energy. Money is the ability in this culture to do things, to accomplish things. And as Father Tiso said a moment ago, there is a huge need and necessity for a game changer. We need to bring humanity back together to realize its commonality and not its differences. And that's in part what this show is trying to do with a variety of programs. And part of our research effort is trying to do with a variety of, of uh, projects there. So if you have some spare change, if you have more than spare change, go to that button. Go to the left-hand Donate Now button and click on it and send us what you can spare because communication in the 21st century costs. Everything costs, but communication more than anything costs because you have transmitters and internet connections and bright people and complexity of computers. Oh, my God, complexity of computers it all ultimately has to be paid for somehow. And as you know, you can also join Club 19.5. That's an easy way to support the show because then you get archives, you get seminars, you get this thing we're going to be doing in the next few weeks on how to look at these images. And um, there are ways you can look that will give you insights to what you're seeing that will not be found uh, on NBC or CBS or ABC. So again, go to the left-hand side of tonight's show page or the guest page. Click on the donate button and send us what you can spare because, believe me, every dollar helps. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server 
that member use to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests, and I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire Bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm -hmm.